Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. And welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You have tuned into a very special podcast because we have Josh Bice with us. Dr. Josh Bice, who is the pastor of Praise Mill Baptist Church in Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. Welcome, Josh. It's great to have you here. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, so Josh, how long have you been pastoring at Praise Mill? Uh, Just finished nine years as pastor here um, of the church that I you know, grew up in. My wife and I grew up here as children. So it's been a wonderful joy, uh, just sort of, you know, a surprise in God's providence and coming home to serve after being away for seven years. And Mm. it's it's been a really uh, great joy. So you grew up in that church. So are there there people there that knew you when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. It happens often. We have families come in. They're preparing to go through the new members class and they say, oh, hey, listen, guys, we have all these wonderful stories we could tell you about Josh. (laughs) You know, and and I just stand back and pause. And when the chuckling stops, I say, you know, guys, I actually have some good stories, too. You know, (laughs) that street runs both directions. Yeah. Yeah, man. I I would hate to pastor the church I grew up in. I would have to keep a bag over my face, I'm afraid. I bet you totally regret that stuff you did when you were nine years old at VBS. (laughs) Oh, man, it's it's really painful at times. It really is. So tell us now the name Praise Mill. A lot of people think, well, what what, prayer? What what does that have to do with prayer? But it really doesn't have anything to do with prayer, does it? So tell us about the name. Yeah, nothing to do with prayer, nothing to do with praise yeah. uh, in the sense of praising God. It's actually a man's name. Yeah. Uh, Ephraim Prey was a man who came to this area from Maine. Uh, he came here with inheritance money 177 years ago, hmm. and he was going to, you know, just sort of start a homestead. And he he settled here in this particular area just west of Atlanta, and there was uh, no church. So the nearest church was some, you know, 15 miles away, 20 miles away or so. And, uh, you know, during that time period with travel and and that sort of thing, it it would just make it very difficult. So he donated the land and he donated the the lumber. Uh, He had a mill, a grist mill and a, and a sawmill. And so he uh, donated the, the, the plot of land and built a little, a little, just basically a one room building that was used for a school during Mm. the week. And it was used for a church on the Lord's day. Mm. And then eventually over the years we would grow buildings would be added on to the property. The property itself would expand, but we're still here on that very spot. 177 Mm. years later. Wow. And it was started as a Baptist church. That's correct. Uh, Predates the Southern Baptist convention, but we, eventually through the years would uh, come partner with the SBC. And so we're still affiliated with the SBC today. So did it have a confession of faith when it started? Did, do you know that? Yes. Yeah, so the, unfortunately the earliest documents of this church uh, uh, would, would uh, be burned up in a fire because mm-hmm. back in the day, one of the record keepers and moderator of, I think the business conference at the time was uh, keeping those records, those books, those ledger books in his attic. Mm. And so there was a fire at his home. And unfortunately we lost all of those records. So we don't have the earliest confession on file. Uh, but what we can find is that as we 
go back to the late 1800s, we, the, the books and the records that we do have, we see a confession and we see pretty much a standard uh, Baptist confession that would eventually look like what we uh, see traced through the, the history of the Baptist churches, especially here in Georgia. And then we see later a more uh, clear connection with the Southern Baptist Convention. Hmm. Fascinating. So, Josh, um, you have been heading up the G3 conference now for some time, and we have the next conference coming up uh, next year. But before we get into next year's conference, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of the history? How did the G3 conference begin, and uh, how many years has it been running? Yeah, so we started in 2013. Um, basically, myself and another pastor here who was on staff at the time, he's now serving in, a, in another church in North Carolina, but we, we prayed together about starting a conference that would sort of benefit local church pastors and other church members in this area. And we wanted to, to have, in, you know, unashamedly, from the very beginning, we wanted to establish a theology conference. And so what we did was we, we put the plans in place. It was back in 2012. And then we started to, you know, organize this weekend conference. We had done sort of a, a month-long thing that was every Monday night in March, and it just didn't go well. So we went back to the drawing board the next year and decided we would do a, a full weekend conference. So we developed the, the name. I came up with this idea of G3, Gospel, Grace, and Glory. We wanted to drive home the point of it being a theology conference. And personally, I expected we would have maybe a couple of hundred people from the surrounding Atlanta area, maybe a little bit outside of that, of that geographic location. And come about maybe November to early December, we were having conversations like going into the sanctuary and measuring how many people we could fit on the pews in, in our in our building because <laughs> we were thinking we needed to shut down registration. And eventually we ended up having to shut down registration wow. the first year. And that would that would be really the, the pattern that we would follow for the first four years of the conference until 2017 when we moved to the convention center for that Reformation conference, and we went from about 720 or so people to 2,500 when we mm. moved in 2017. So it's incredible. We, we just, yeah, we just take a theme each year, and we just unpack that theme throughout the weekend in various ways, from plenary sessions to breakout sessions, and we just seek to strengthen local churches. That's the passion for G3. Very cool. That's wonderful. So this year, or in 2020, the conference theme is on worship. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you hope to see accomplished by bringing together people to address that theme. Yeah, so worship is an extremely important topic. If you think about last year's conference was on missions, you know, we think about church planting, sending out people, sending out elders to go plant churches. Well, what will the churches do when they're planted? Well, they're going to worship. They're going to be called together to worship God. So there's sort of a, a flow to these conferences in these uh, past years. We started off with the gospel, and we just worked through different, you know, 
doctrinal distinctives, uh, talking mm. about ecclesiology in the past, talking about the doctrine of the Trinity in the past. And now we're going to land this year on the subject of worship because we believe it's vitally important. When we look at Acts, we see the early church in chapter 2, right after the preaching of Peter, they're gathered for the for the purpose of worship, and they're gathered under the, the preaching of the apostles. And so when we consider what worship looks like, and then we look at the problems that we see in so many local church contexts and denominational circles, we see just a shallow worship. And I think that we need to think earnestly about what God has called us to do, the privileges, the responsibilities, the blueprints, and then ask honest questions. What does that look like? So Mm. obviously we're going to talk about worship services, but we're also going to be talking about family worship, because I think that what we're doing collectively as a church, the ecclesia, when we come together, I think that that should inform how we as fathers and the heads of our homes, how we lead in family worship in that context as well. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think uh, for us, uh, the, the G3 conference is the best conference that we go to. Founders sets up uh, booths at different conferences, and I know consistently over the years, uh, the G3 has been our favorite conference to go and participate in. And it just seems like there's a spirit at this conference that is uh, wonderful and almost unique. I mean, you, we see it elsewhere, Founders Conferences, I think we have this as well. But there's just this, uh, this seriousness and joy, uh, no pretense, that is, is wonderfully refreshing. And I know that, man, you know, as you plan a conference, this, you, you can't control the spirit of the conference. You can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and work to accomplish that, but we're really dependent upon Him. And it seems that God has richly blessed this conference over the years, uh, not just in the growth that you can measure, but with that, that intangible sense of the nearness of God and the unity of God's people when they come together. Um, do you guys think about that? Do you, how do you, uh, how does that operate in your planning as you're thinking about what topics to address, knowing that, you know, you, we're dependent on the spirit of God to bring about that sense of unity and joy when we gather? Yeah, Tom, that's a very good question. I think the the main thing, like you said, is to pray and to trust that the Holy Spirit would do His work through this conference. Because ultimately our passion is to encourage and to edify believers, church leaders, and wives and their children as they come to this conference. So we want to be about, you know, encouraging and educating and advancing truth to the whole church, not Mm -hmm. just to pastors. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that would differentiate us from, say, a Shepherds Conference, mm-hmm. which I love and have been to and, and have grown greatly through, but we're not just a pastor's conference. And yeah. so uh, I, I think that prayer is the main thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you think um, in terms of the way that we unpack a specific theme and then we try to stay on track throughout that weekend— and then we don't have any political chains that are holding us back and and almost like weights on our legs. So we're not trying to please a certain group or a denomination or any certain leader or anything of that nature. We're just trying to be uh, very much committed to what the Bible actually says. Mm -hmm. And so we don't feel muzzled in any way. And I think that when you remove the muzzles 
and you remove the, the weights off of people's legs, so to speak, that you can actually be free to just say what the Bible says and to rejoice in truth. Mm. I think when we you know, hear Jesus say that we should worship in spirit and in truth, it should be a word-driven ministry, and our big heads, theologically speaking, should also precipitate large and big hearts as well. And I think that that's something that we're seeking to accomplish each year at G3. Josh, uh, we're going to take a break here in just a minute, but before we do, I'm looking at your speaker's page, or I'm looking at your, your main page, and it looks like you have a great lineup of uh, those who will be delivering God's Word, uh, g3conference.com is where that can be found. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about family worship, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be some stuff on corporate worship, but do you have any key kind of themes, just one layer down before we take this break? you got family worship, corporate worship, um, different different dimensions of worship that you'll be getting into? Yeah, so uh, obviously as we've discussed public worship in the context of the local church, and then you know, family worship is something that, that we should uh, that we should promote and that we should discuss honestly at this conference. But this idea of private worship as well, I think that walking with the Lord, you know, as we go, as we as we drive to work, as we, you know, pray privately, I think that those are things that we need to ask honest questions about. What does that look like and what is God calling us to do as far as individual private worship, spending time walking with the Lord? Very good. Well, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we want to dive into a little bit of the kind of theology and practice, talk about different aspects of worship with you, a little bit about singing and worship, and uh, how would you encourage a young pastor, maybe talk a little bit about the regulative principle as well. So uh, when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. When people say, well, we're done with the worship now, the time for the pastor to come up and speak, uh, shows a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, of what, of what worship is. We are not left to ourselves regarding the object of our worship. Uh, we have expressed commandments and directives regarding worship because uh, we are not free to do whatever we want. People can rob God of glory in the worship of God by focusing on themselves rather than God. Worship is not our idea of trying to please um, a, a benevolent being. Uh, worship ultimately is something that God himself demands of his creatures. The preaching of the word of God is the hub of the wheel. And every activity and every spiritual discipline of the church are like spokes coming out from the primacy of the preaching. Now, of course, there's going to be various people who are going to be involved in the service. I mean, people leading us in musical worship. That's extremely valuable and a huge blessing to us. We are called in Ephesians 5 to sing praise unto God. You see, the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. And so if we're going to ask what is appropriate to God, then we must go to the very source and to the heart of the matter and find out what God has said about the very issue that we're asking a question about. I understand why people may want to choose a church that offers great amenities. We've become very convinced that churches ought to have all these programs and that uh, the church that offers the most programs must be the one that's most faithful to God, is most receiving His blessings and, and all of that. But the heart of the church, the heart of what we do when we go to church is not receiving programs, it's not engaging in programs, it's, it's speaking to God and hearing from God. So I've got to be where that word is absolutely central. 
which means that word is preached, that word is read aloud, that word is prayed, that word is sung, just the whole service is drenched in the word of God. In other words, worship never takes place in a vacuum. It never takes place in an intellectual vacuum. It has to be theology and the truth about God and Christ that is uh, placed into the heart and then set on fire by the Holy Spirit that raises the affections in worship. So it's not a mechanical thing. It's not something that I am pressed to do or obligated to do, uh, constrained to do. It, it, it is the response. It's the response of my heart to the work of Christ in my soul. Part of how we overcome our own sin and we overcome Satan on a day-to-day -day basis is we out-worship the world. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. We're here today talking with Josh Bice, who is pastor of Praise Mill Baptist Church, and he leads up the G3 Conference. Uh, 2020 G3 Conference is on the theme of worship, and we just wanted to get into a little bit of it with you, Josh. Is um, One thing that came to mind uh, to hopefully encourage folks to go to the conference if they haven't signed up for it yet but I was thinking about um, a lot of pastors listen to this podcast, and if you, if I'm a young pastor somewhere, and I've got my you know small, medium, average sized church, and I want to lead them uh, in reformation, particularly in the area of corporate worship, what kind of counsel would you give a guy in that situation? That's a really good question, Jared. I think one of the the, the things I would encourage a brother like that to do would would be first of all. Uh, to, to to be very patient uh, as you make these transitions. In other no, I want to burn it down, man. I'm <laughs> I want to yeah. get this thing changed. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that go in wanting to burn it down, and they, they're the ones that get burned in the process, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can, I can appreciate the zeal, and I can appreciate the, the commitment to Scripture and, and the desire to want to see a church reformed. One of the things that happens, though, is we have to, to come in and figure out, okay, what are the hills that we're willing to die on? And, it, you know, if there's perversion in your worship service, then you need to correct that from the very beginning. But I think that if there are certain elements and certain issues that you just need to work through over time, if you can be patient and build the trust of the people and then help them see by putting your finger on chapter and verse and then just teaching them patiently— to make those changes over time, then that would be the first encouragement would just be to work with as much patience as possible. And then again, I think uh, from that point, I think that having a, a firm commitment to the scriptures, we do believe that the Bible is sufficient and we do believe that the Bible is authoritative. And so when we think of worship, you know, you're going to land in one of the three camps, basically. It's either going to be the normative principle that if it's not forbidden, then you're going to maybe practice worship in that way. So you're going to have a lot of gray areas and you're going to try to land in those gray areas often uh, in how you design worship. Uh, or you're going to be uh, what they might call the imaginative principle. 
and that's anything goes. Like Ed Young Jr. and his wife on the roof with, you know, talking about <laughs> sex for 24 hours, and you know, they forgot to wear sunglasses and ended up in trouble with that. But, but nevertheless, you're going to have motorcycles jumping over pews or zip line approach to the pulpit or indoor fireworks at the 4th of July. And now, wait, 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 wait a minute, Josh. Let me be clear. Are you saying those things are not good? I'm saying that those things are not good. Not good. Yeah. All right, good. I'm tracking. Right. No fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Man. Imaginative principle. That's just, <laughs> you know, your imagination like just runs wild. And then there's what we would call the regulative principle. In other words, that Scripture regulates how we design worship services, how we are called to worship God. And I think that when we're honest and we read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is regulating his people. Israel was regulated in how they worship. There was a blueprint to the tabernacle. There was a certain order that had to be, you know, maintained in how they approached God. And I think that we, we must maintain that, that idea as we worship and as we gather in the local church as well. You know, uh, that's a regulative principle, normative principle. We've had those conversations for a long time. I've never heard the imaginative principle, however. And, and the way I've described the first two is uh, the normative principle says, why not? The regulative principle says, why? And I guess the imaginative principle would say, who cares? Something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, um, we published a book, I think it's called Worship. Just yeah, regular principle of worship. Yeah, yep. We get into the regular principle and then with specific application to altar calls, which I think is right. fitting, you know, in the, at least in the Southern Baptist world, there's a lot of guys that are facing that situation and your, your call to patience is, um, is echoed in that, that work yeah. as well. You know, I, I yeah. was thinking about, uh, the 1689 confession, which I know that you hold to that confession and we do as well. And it actually has a whole chapter on worship and talks about how worship is to be regulated by God. Religious worship, paragraph two, this is chapter 22, is to be given to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creatures. Since the fall, worship is not given to without a mediator nor through mediation of anyone but Christ alone. And the first mm-hmm. paragraph says, light of nature governs some aspects of incidentals, but uh, the when it comes to the elements and how God's to be worshipped, it is only in ways that have been instituted by him. You know, I, I wonder, yeah. Josh, if you would kind of have see the same tendency. Uh, it seems, uh, especially the younger generation, there is a sense in worship, which is a good thing, that we're coming to receive. We indeed are coming to behold the glory of God, to drink deeply of his word, to taste and see that God is good. Um, but there's this other idea that we are related, that we are rendering praise to God. We are singing to him. We are praying to him. We are glorifying God in that moment. Now, you can't have one without the other. We behold God's glory, and, and then we exalt his glory. Uh, but the idea, even the old Puritan idea of preparing for worship, knowing that it's going to be an intellectual endeavor, that um, we're going to gather, and I want to pray that God would help me to think about what we're doing. Think about the prayers. You know, we pray here, have a pastoral prayer at Grace, and it's a it's a longer prayer, and we don't want to put people to sleep in our prayer, but it is a it's longer than what is probably common. But cultivating a sense that we are here, so sing boldly, uh, sing to the Lord, pray to the Lord, pay attention as His Word is taught, almost like exhorting people um, to to strength and to. Um, uh, energy in the worship service. I think that's a, a need of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I think you're spot on. I think that we need to think in terms of the, you know, the mind and, you know, we should not discount emotions and feelings, but emotions and feelings should not be driving worship. Mm. It should be driven by the truth and it should come through the filter of our mind. And then eventually that would precipitate how we feel. So how we feel should be directly connected to truth. And if we come to church thinking that I have to feel a certain way, then you're going to, you're probably going to find the, the, the most shallow church in your town. So what you need to look for is you need to look for a church that takes the, 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 the word of God seriously, that takes worship seriously, and that seeks to be regulated by the word of God. So ultimately by God himself. And yeah, I think the mind is extremely important. And we're going to touch on that in this, in this conference as well. But I was preaching, and I'm preaching through Romans now on the Lord's Day, and we, we just finished up a lengthy time through chapter 8. And so we just launched off this past week into chapter 9. And I just tried to encourage the church to understand that we're going to deal with some weighty matters in chapter 9, but we need to understand that Paul starts off with a, a, a swelling, big, zealous heart for unbelievers mm-hmm. at the very beginning of chapter 9. And and why is that? Well, because truth, this big head that Paul had, also caused him to have a big heart for unbelievers. And so I think that when we think about how we worship and how we should approach God in worship, that there should be both the mind and the heart employed, but truth drives how we worship. And ultimately, it should drive how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about God. Mm. Hey, Josh, walk us through what a, uh, a regular Lord's Day worship service would look like at Praise Mill. Just you know, give us the, yeah. the highlights of, of what the elements would be in that. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, we currently, uh, when I came nine years ago, we had the Lord's Supper about once a quarter. And I, I moved us to, uh, to, to, to a more frequent uh, practice of the Lord's table. So it's the first Sunday of the month we worship at the Lord's table. But what we will typically do in a worship service is we want to, we want to have a, a bold call to worship from the Word of God. So we have a, a biblical call to worship. One of the elders, and we're on a rotation, we have a, a worship schedule that we as elders uh, work through and, and are rotating. So every month is going to be different. It's not always going to be me doing the call to worship, but, uh, there are, but, but the, the elements are the same. Mm-hmm. So the structure would be, we have a call to worship and then we're going to eventually move to singing. Uh, and there's going to be a, a prayer that's going to take place, pastoral prayer. And then we're going to have basically about four, about four hymns or spiritual songs that are going to be used for the corporate gathering on the Lord's day maybe five, uh, if you count our, our time there of reflection after the, the preaching of the gospel. But what you have is you have call to worship from the Word, and then you're going to have prayer, and then you're going to have um, something that we started uh, this past year, and we've been about a year and a half now. We do a missions moment. So after that call to worship, we have a time where we have one of our elders who comes and he basically gives an overview 
a snapshot of, of a specific nation on planet Earth and gives the stats of the Lord's church in that particular region. And then we pray for that church in that region. And then after that, we go into time of, of singing. And then we have an, an Old Testament reading and a prayer uh, by one of the elders. And then we have congregational singing. And then we have a New Testament reading and prayer from one of the elders. And these prayers are intentional prayers. So one's going to be more of a prayer of confession. And then we're going to have more of a, a prayer of praise and exaltation of God. And then there's going to be the reading of the, the text, and I'm going to come to the, the pulpit and read the text that, we're going to be, that, that I'm going to be preaching through, and then I'm going to lead the congregation in prayer, and then uh, after the, the preaching, we're going to have a, a song by which we reflect upon the Word and we praise the Lord mm. based upon the truth of Scripture. So, yeah, so we have singing, and we have Scriptures, and we have uh, both Old and New Testament, the call to worship is generally from the Psalms, uh, and sometimes we go outside of those boundaries, but typically we're starting with Psalms, and, so, and that's how we flow. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds like you guys uh, have a lot of Scripture in your worship services and a lot of prayer. Yeah, and, uh, that's, and that's uh, on purpose. Yeah. yeah, that's good, and I think that gets overlooked a lot. I, I believe it's getting better. Uh, in our circles where we do honor the Word of God as God's inerrant Word and, and scripted for us. But uh, I have been to some conservative inerrantist-led churches where the Scripture was hardly used at all. And so, man, uh, fill your worship service with Scripture. Sounds that's yeah. like that's exactly what you guys do. Yeah. So, Josh, kind of final question for you here, man. If you only had one text to point to to encourage another pastor to think rightly about worship, what passage would you point him to? Wow, they're, 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 that's a really good question. Um, you know, you, you think in terms of the, uh, the the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he's saying, you know, Second Timothy chapter four, he's saying, preach the word. Mm. So, if I were really to be pressed, that would probably be the text because in that passage, he talks about, you know, how the Word of God is to be preached in the context of the church, and that there's to be great patience, and there's to be love for the church. And, you know, you think about what he's saying there as far as being steadfast, that there's going to be a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but you need to fulfill your ministry. You need to be faithful to to not give up. Mm. And so I think that that would be the text because it's, it's uh, putting the focus on the Word of God. In other words, he tells Timothy, you know, he doesn't say, you know, you have to figure out a way to entertain the people or put on this fancy, you know, uh, entertainment-based worship experience. He just says, you, you need to be steadfast in the preaching of the Word, and he charges him before God, and he does so in, in, a, in a public way there as he's writing to him, but, but giving him the authority of, of God himself. But, mm. but if you back up into 1 Timothy, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, the Word of God reads, uh, as Paul is again writing to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, Great indeed 
it says, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he goes on and gives an exhortation. But the point I'm making here is that he calls, he calls the church the church of God. We need mm. to remember that it's the church of the living God. It's not our church. So we don't have the freedom to just design worship services however we want. So it's regulated by God. But also, we, we need to see that he's writing to a pastor who was given the responsibility of overseeing how that church should behave, which would include worship services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's the job of the pastor to make sure that he's overseeing souls and he's overseeing how the church gathers and he's putting things in a specific order that would honor God. So I think those two texts would be really good texts for us to consider. Amen. Amen. Josh, thanks so much for talking with us today. And uh, as we close, hey, we encourage you, to, if you haven't registered for the G3 conference yet, the 2020 G3 conference in Atlanta, Georgia, Thursday, January 16th through Saturday, January 18th. Uh, we're going to be there. You should be there too. Go to g3conference.com, and we hope to see you then. Thanks again, Josh, thanks, for being Josh. with us. Thanks, Josh. Privilege to be with you guys.